we're back this afternoon talking about fasting. Uh, and I think the last one was observation, instructions about fasting. And I don't know if I made it plain enough last time on observing and having a fast. We was in the 58th chapter of Isaiah, uh, the 3rd through the 12th verse, where we think it was in reference to the times when the people were fasting in the Babylonian captivity. And they were saying God hadn't noticed their fast, and they fasted, and God hadn't noticed their fasting. And and then in the book of Zechariah, the 7th chapter, I think it is, when he brought up about them fasting when they fasted in the fifth and the seventh month. Was it to them that they had fasted or had he declared a fast or whatever? And we all see that it was them doing it. And so when we fast, we can't put God in obligation or obligate God to us or anything because Fasting is a self-imposed trial that should help us both know and feel what we are in comparison to God. And it's in brokenness and it's response to repentance, repentance of mourning. We went over the, the different times of fasting last time of what fasting was. And it's not a cudgel or something to move God or to where God would have to reward you for your fasting or whatever that you you obligate God to you, God's not going to be put in, he's not going to allow himself to be put in debt. We couldn't put God in our debt no matter what we do. So its purpose is not to impress God with how disciplined we are, though it is a good exercise in discipline to fast. It brings about a good Discipline, it tempers, or as Paul said it, that he buffeted the flesh, that he buffeted himself unless he'd be a cast away to his very gospel. And we see where he was in fasting often. He often fasted. And I don't know if I made it clear last time that fasting doesn't have a designated length of time. There's no time period in which you have to fast or which a fast is set for. You know, it could be a number of hours or it could be days or whatever. And there's no set time that the Bible says you have to fast. And I'm thinking the book of Leviticus last time I went over that it was just only that one day a year that was designated as a fast day. But then that went out as with the handwriting of ordinances against us. And that's why I say fasting became voluntary. Fasting became something that was a voluntary action or whatever. And uh, it is to remind us of how much we need the things God so freely and generously supplies for us. And that it's with the heart and along with fasting. And I told you about times of fasting that you shouldn't set it at a time where you're going to be in measurement, merriment, or uh, having self-pleasure, or going to be about feasting or doing some other things, because fasting is a time to getting closer to God, and any good fast is enjoined by prayer. As he told the disciples that couldn't cast the demon out, he says, this kind going, going out only but by fasting and prayer. 
So we see fasting and prayer combined there. And our thoughts and meditation should be in the word of God because, like I said, usually it's a time of repentance or remorsefulness of what we did or how we've lived or something. I think last time I gave you the people of Nineveh, how that when Jonah preached to the Ninevites, that yet 40 days and God was going to destroy Nineveh, that the king, when he declared a fast, and he says in sackcloth and mourning, I don't know if he put sackcloth and stuff on the animals, but he said that that man, no beast, would eat. So they had to re- refrain from even feeding the animals at that time. Yes. They were in dire straits and of, of need of God do something for them, and they wasn't a people called by God but like I said, fasting goes all the way back to, I don't know, Christians may not want to use the word prehistoric times uh, where man was a hunter-gatherer, where that it was often times that he wouldn't be able to eat. They didn't have the agrarian society in the beginning as it was, as it came to develop throughout the years, and they sometimes would go without meals or whatever, so... Fasting is known to man, but that was like a forced fast. Like I said, sometimes you may not have food or whatever. You have to fast or whatever. You're fasting, but it's not necessarily a spiritual fast. It's because of a lack of fasting. It's a forced situation. In those times, if they had to track down game, you know, they had to hunt game or whatever. I don't know what the deal with Esau. Did he take water out with him or whatever? But we know he was famished when he came back from hunting for the venison that he had went out to capture for his father Isaac. And he was, I don't think he was at the point of death that he was that famished that he sold his birthright to Jacob. But he said that he was the birthright wouldn't do him any good if he was dead or whatever and that he was so famished and that Jacob said well what you would give me in exchange for it and for a pot of lentils he exchanged his birthright and the Bible says he despised his birthright by doing that and that's the thing that we have to look at that we have to give up those material things of things that are physical to get spiritual, uh, uh, to get strengthened. And that's why, you know, the Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the, through the pulling down of strongholds. And sometimes our appetite may be a stronghold in our lives, gluttony or whatever. Some of us may need to fast, if not but for physical, re- physical reason, but for physical reason. But a lot of us are weak. When Paul talks about those that are weak, those that wouldn't eat, he wouldn't eat meat if it would make his brother's conscience weak. So I guess he would fast away from eating meat at that time or whatever. And we see where Daniel said he would only eat lentils in obedience to God's word instead of partaking of the king's table and eating something that was unclean or something that may have been forbidden to him. So fasting, this abstinence of fasting, he was dependent upon God. He told the king's attendant, he says, look, 
you just give us the vegetables and lentils or whatever and, and go back and check us after a certain length of time and see. And when they checked them and they seen that they were in better condition than those that were eating of the king's table or whatever. So God is able to sustain you. Jesus had went away and the disciples had went away to buy food to get bread and they came back and Jesus says, I have food that you know not of. And he said his food is to do the will of the Father. That was his bread. That was just, that's what was sustained him. We know that God has life inherent in himself and that Jesus Christ is, gives us eternal life because God had given him all power and life is in the Son to give to whom whoever he will. And there are conditions that are being met for that life and that strengthening of spiritual life and the positions that we take. And we see where the, the even though, I don't know if it was before the that episode when the man brought the son that was possessed of the demons that had cast, caused him to be cast into the fire, in the roll in the fire, whatever, and he, the disciples couldn't cast him out, and Jesus says that kind goeth out by, but by prayer and fasting. But we see at one time or another, he had given the the disciples power to go about healing the sick and to cast out devils and everything. But I don't know how much further did they go in their spiritual life beyond what Jesus has delegated to them at that time, because he says. Uh, don't be high-minded or, or get all carried away with yourself because the demons were subject unto you, rejoicing that your name is written in the kingdom of heaven. So, but we see that that particular demon, that what they was coming up against, required a much more developed spiritual life. Yes. And fasting is one of the ways that we look at developing much more of a spiritual man and it's becoming at one with God and that day that God in the Old Testament required a fasting was the day of atonement a day of unity becoming at one with God it's to get closer to God and so if we die daily to self we're buffeting ourselves so I kind of see why Paul said he was in fastings often in that he was one of the stronger of the apostles. He wrote maybe 13 or 14 of the New Testament books. We see some of the accomplishments of Paul, not saying that others didn't do a great deal and they just wasn't written in the canons of Scripture, but that Paul was one that says he fasted often. Yep. We see where Peter, when the, apostles, when the widows and things came to them complaining the, the people came complaining that the widows wasn't being treated right, that they wasn't being attended to, that Peter said that they would delegate and ordain deacons to do that job because they would have to give themselves to prayer and to the studying of the word of God. We know that Jesus told Martha and Mary that Mary was doing a lot of, Martha was doing a lot of work or whatever, but he said Mary had chosen the good thing, and that was to hear the word of God. So meditating 
on the word of God, timing the word of God, and as Peter says, giving themselves to prayer and fasting, those are the things that strengthen you spiritually, getting closer with God, taking a deeper walk in the word of God. So whenever you fast, you want to do it in a time where you, the time that you would spend eating, uh, watching television or whatever you're doing, or whatever you're fasting away from, that you would spend that time meditating in the Word of God, reading and studying the Word of God, and in prayer. Uh, but when we even for a relatively short time are to deny the food that God supplies, our weakness and dependence quickly becomes apparent that we don't have life and I will inherit in us, but it makes us think if we have to eat physical nourishment, assimilate physical food to strengthen our bodies, and we're in a warfare, it's not a physical warfare, it's not against flesh and blood, that we also must strengthen the inner man. We must need to do something to strengthen the inner man. So fasting and prayer would be one of those exercises to help us strengthen the inner man and realize that our complete dependence is upon God, and that's what God looks for those that has a contrite and broken heart. Food gives us physical strength and satisfaction, but how much more satisfaction do you get after a day or so of being in the Word of God, of going to church and hearing the Word of God preach, and in God's presence? Doesn't it revitalize you spiritually, and that spiritual revitalization even revives the physical man? As you said to the Jesus was talking to the disciples on the mainest road that they had went so long and they, he had told them from the scriptures, he started in the scriptures telling them about Jesus and the word of God and that they had walked all that way. But after a physical meal that he broke bread with them, I don't know if the bread, the physical eating of the bread is what enlightened them but it was the spiritual, spiritual nourishment of the word that caused them to see because he says he opened their eyes and they were able to see and they were refreshed. Yes. And we know those that believe it on him as the scripture has said, out of their bellies will flow rivers of living water. So the word of God is our necessary nutrient. That's the bread. That's the bread. He says man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God and they sustained manner every day and that manner was a type of the word of God it was the word that's something that we require daily is his word we pray daily as we wake up we in close proximity to God and it sustains the fellowship fasting uh, puts us in a proper attitude to submit to God Whereas these people in the book of Isaiah, the 58th chapter, the 3rd through the 12th verse, it gave, they wasn't fasting properly because we see their attitudes or dispositions wasn't one of humility or submission. And that that's one of the reasons maybe their fasting 
wasn't accomplishing the purpose that they wanted to. And he told them, you fight for, you fast for debate, for strife. You smite with the fist. You still oppress the, the, the downtrodden, the afflicted, and that you don't open up your pantries, uh, your food to the poor and the downtrodden. So we see fasting wasn't accomplishing the purpose into which they were sacrificing themselves unto God by lack of physical nutrients. It wasn't a, causing a stronger bondage of thoughtfulness to God or turning away from self, from self-pleasure, self-aggrandizement, and covetousness. When we deprive ourselves of the necessities of life, we see how dependent we are upon God's providence, and that causes God to be able to better deal with us because we see without Him we could accomplish or do nothing, and that we need Him, we need Him. And one of the writers says His word was more to them than His necessary food. That was His necessary food. Without the word, one becomes weak. One's become spiritually afflicted. One becomes in disrepair. But the word, it says he sent his word to heal us. So the word is a searcher of man's heart. It's a searcher of man's heart. We read in Matthew, the 6th chapter in the 16th through the 18th verse, that he told us to be not as the hypocrites when they fast, for they fast and stand with long drawn faces and mourning and so that they appear to men to fast. Whereas God says that we are to wash our face and anoint our head with oil so that we don't appear to man, men to fast. And so that, not, so that your, your fasting will not be noticed by people because it's not people that you're appealing to. It's God that you're appealing to. So he said the same thing about fasting as he did about prayer because he says, when thou say thou prayers or do thine alms, enter into thine closet and shut the door behind you. Notice that Daniel was in his room praying to God, that he wasn't out in the synagogues anywhere, but he was in his room praying to God. Yes. He says that, so with fasting, he also says, Fasting will not be you know, that your fasting will not be noticed by people, but your father who is in secret, and your father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. So the reward comes from the father who sees what you're doing. You don't have to remind God of you fasted and this transaction didn't happen or this didn't come about. You fasted to God. Your expectation should have been closeness to God in a deeper fellowship and a spiritual bond to God and not an accumulation of spiritual things. Now, he says God will reward you and if you're praying for your children, and I pray for my children all the time, and if you're fasting, pray for your children's spiritual revolution that God would save them and that they would dream dreams as he promised and would have visions and would walk in the way and do the thing that God promised and that God would turn the hearts of the 
children to the fathers as he've already turned your heart back to the children because that's what this repentance about and that you realize in brokenness that it was you who was a failure. It was you that may have done wrong rearing them and the things that you've done that you've not been the parent that you could have or should have been and only God can repair that breach. God sees that brokenness, the contriteness in you at that time because why? He's looking at the heart. What heart attitude, what disposition you have. That's the reason he didn't accept Cain's sacrifice. When Cain offered up sacrifice, it wasn't what Cain was offering up. He says, if thou doest well. In other words, he says, sin lieth at the door and its desire is toward you. It's to, to control you. But you shall control it. So we have to not have things against our brothers to get that prayer through because he says, if you have art against your, your brother, lay your gifts to the side, go and pray and get things right with your brother, then come off your gift to God because you can't hate your brother and have a bad disposition about other people and other others and come ask God to reward you or hear you talk. As a priesthood, we as a royal priesthood, it's our job to intercede intercede for others. So Chronicles first Chronicles twenty eight ninth chapter twenty twenty eighth chapter in the ninth verse says it says, As for you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your fathers have personal knowledge of him Know the God of your fathers. You should have personal knowledge of him. Be acquainted with him and understand him. Appreciate and heed and cherish him. In other words, be obedient unto him. Have a proper relationship with God. And serve him with a blameless heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and minds and understands every intent and the inclinations of the thoughts. If you seek him, that is, inquiring for and of him and requiring him as your first and vital necessity, he will let you find him. But if you abandon or turn away from him, he will reject you. So if you go searching for God, you give up food, you, give, you sacrifice all of the physical amenities, so that you can have a deeper relationship with God, that you can have an ear for God, that you're searching for God. The obedience comes through being obedient and have faith and confidence in his word. And he says, God's searching the heart. That's why it says, your father seeth in secret. What are you doing? He sees the prayers. He sees your condition. And if you would humble yourself and pray, then God is here. That's when the fruitfulness, because there's something that's taken place in the inner man, it's in the heart, and that's the objective. That's what God wants you to do, and that's what fasting does. It breaks down the old man. You turn to repentance, and the old man is dying. The spiritual man is, is gaining life. He's gaining strength. You're pulling down the carnal stronghold. Remember, our weapons are not carnal, but spiritual through God. So fasting is a spiritual exercise. 
Jeremiah 17 and 10 says, I, the Lord, search and examine the mind. I test the heart to give each man according to his ways and according to his deeds. So, knowing these words and everything, when we come before God, we knowing that God sees this and that the things that we're going through, God, uh, God's bringing us through those things and that he's going to supply the victory and that we overcome in him. So it's not a physical battle. So we're giving up the physical to put our mind more focused upon God, to be at one with him, to think as he thinks for a transforming of the mind, a renewing of the mind. We're trying to change our thought patterns, that that same mind be in us that was in Christ Jesus. This fasting is to give up our self-centeredness, our self-seeking, but to seek and search after God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, that we need him. If you don't supply this, we surely will die. Without him, we have no life. He's the only one with life to sustain us. Jeremiah 23 and 24 says, Can anyone hide himself in the secret places so that I cannot see him, says the Lord? Do I not feel heaven and earth? So there's no place you can get away from God. So God sees your brokenness, and he's seeing that you're willing to give up the world, that you're willing to present your body as a sacrifice, as a living sacrifice unto him, for a more complete relationship with him, for him to fulfill you just as he fulfills the whole world. He heaven and earth, he feels heaven and earth, and you're making room inside yourself for the spiritual man to be filled in the inner man. For God to come in and dwell with you and suck with you. You you're pushing out the world, the things of the world, the love of the world, because you have the love of the world. You can't love God. You're getting rid of every weight and sin that's besetting you. You're getting more attached to him. He's increasing and your desires and passions are decreasing. They're becoming the same as he is. And he wants to see all men saved. Amos 9 and 3 says, Though they hide on the summit of Mount Carmel, I will track them down and take them from there. And though they hide from my sight on the floor of the sea, from there I shall command the serpent and he will hide and he will bite them. All of the actions, everything that's going on, we can't have life and we can't hide from God. So God's going to sustain us no matter what we do and it's going to work together for our good and it's going to get us off self-fulfillment, self-pleasure. It's going to take us completely away from self and what we want it's nevertheless his will be done, not our will. It's not what we want. And that's the discipline that we're doing. Paul says he learned to deny himself and to be full and to not be in want. Because to be in want, all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's what you're trying to discipline yourself against. You're trying to overcome the world. The things of the world. Zephaniah 1 and 12 says, It will come about that 
At that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish the men who like old wine are stagnant in spirit, who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, uh, nor will he do evil. Read that in the living. It says, I will search with lanterns in Jerusalem's darkest corners to find and punish those who sit contented in their sins. Indifferent to God, thinking he will leave them alone. They are the very ones whose property will be plundered by the enemy, whose homes will be ransacked. They will never have a chance to live in the new homes they have built. They will never drink wine from the vineyards that they have planted. So here it is. He says he's going to search out with lanterns or with lamps. In other words, this is going to be such a thorough search. You could think of the old ancient movies that you've seen that a person had a, a lamp, a lantern, searching around in a cavern or something, searching somewhere, someone with a flashlight shining the light in all the crooks and crannies. Yes. Well, that's what God's word doing. It's a light unto the soul. His word is a light, and we're to be light. What that word does it enters into us in that spirit. We're going to talk about the spirit of man and the spirit of God. But that spirit comes in and points out everything within us that's not like him. All of that that has to go. It's going to shine the light on envy. It's going to shine the light on presumption. It's going to shine the light on the little sins. Not, it doesn't have to be the big sins because most of the church may not be committing those big sins. A lot, a great deal of the church not living in same-sex marriage or homosexuality or that they are killing or that they are murderers or adulterers, but they are thieves. They are covetous. They do hate. They envy. They slander. They backbite. They unthankful. They ungrateful. All of these sins, those being a covenant breaker, all of those things are works on the, of the flesh. And as we fast and studying his, study his word, the spirit shines the light on those things in you, in you and you see how reprehensible you are. You start seeing this Jacob. It says, thou worm Jacob. As Paul says, he sees himself as the chiefest of sinners. So the interests of God's word give it light. And we're to walk in that light. So that's what the, as you're fasting, all of this meditating on his word and talking with God, there is a work going on if you're fasting right. That's why I say the prayer, the praying, the meditating on his word, studying his word, all of that's going on to accomplish a spiritual progress. You're not concerned about the physical progress. God sustains that physical life. We're looking for spiritual development, for spiritual life. Romans 8, 27. I'll read the Amplified in the Living in that one also. It says, and he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to his will. 
the living says, he who searches the heart knows what the, what's the mind of the spirit is. Because the spirit intercedes before God on behalf of God's people in accordance with God's will. And the father knows all hearts knows. And the father who knows all hearts, of course, what the spirit is saying as he pleads for us in harmony with God's own will. We know that all that happens to us is working for our good if we love God and are fitting into his plans. So we see that the spirit searches the heart and it shows and it intercedes before God telling us what we need. We start to see vital things as we meditate on his word, start thinking more focused, laser focused, on God's word, upon closeness with God, what's hindering me from being in harmony with God? What has to come out of my life? Right now, I'm not thinking about food. I don't have, I'm not full. I'm not thirsty. And be careful with fasting. That's why I say there's no time limit on it or whatever. Certain medications and certain people that may be diabetics or whatever, you may have certain uh, reservations about not drinking water or not doing certain things because of your insulin level and your glucose level changing or whatever. So that's why I said fasting, if we search the Bible, is not obligatory. He said his disciples will fast. Now there are certain people, maybe, and we've read about it in medical journals and things has it about it, that type 2 diabetes a lot of time is acquired diabetes and that sometimes people reverse type 2 diabetics. Mm. Yes. Now, if you type 1, it's more or less uh, DNA-related uh, inherit in the blood system, but type 2 is reversible. But now, I'm not saying look for the physical blessing in this, but sometimes he does reward you with physical things, things that we can see, things that are tangible. Sometimes he rewards us with what we're praying for. He knows what we have need of, so he's not rewarding us because we're praying in this way about this or whatever, but because that's part of his plan. It says all things work together for good for those that love the Lord. So this is why... In a true spiritual fast, we neither eat nor drink anything for the whole time. And sometimes, like I said, it may be better just to fast 12 hours if that's the limit because of medical necessities. Sometimes a fast could be from that morning to that afternoon or that night. Or that fast could start that night and in the next day. Yes. I've heard a guy talking about breakfast and the word breakfast came from old people back in the time of whatever the breakfast meal, eating of the breakfast that morning because they fast from sundown to sun up or whatever. And the breakfast was that's where the word breaking the fast come from. Breakfast break the fast. That meal in the morning, that early, that light meal was the breaking of the fast. So, but a fast does not necessarily have to be all day. It's, like I say, 
it's individual. That's why it says when you fast. Because it's when you fast. It's not if you fast. Uh, you may fast. It says when you fast. So the guideline there is when you fast, don't put on airs about it. Don't do it to be seen. It's a secret affair anyhow. Uh, God desires such a humble spirit in us that we can walk in harmony with him. Micah 6 and 8, Isaiah 66 and 2. So it's not to be seen. We know what God has required of us to walk justly, to do right, and to walk humbly with the Lord thy God. And as we do that, we fulfill and obey the word of God. It's walk a walk of faith. Not a walking a pleasing man or showing man what you're doing or whatever. I talked about it that the members of Isaiah's audience was fasting for all of the wrong reasons. And Isaiah's the one who labeled the nation as a hypocritical nation. They did things for appearance sakes and the appearance of others and they did it to be seen of others. God says, though we though that we should fast to free others from sins, it's to lift heavy burdens from others, not burden others and not put ourselves in comparison for others. One of the reasons for is you praying for a child, are you praying for a relative, or praying something that God would break the yoke. That's why it says, anoint your head with oil, wash your face and everything. Well, as that anointing, as praying, as looking unto God, you believing that God's hearing you and he's going to work to lift that burden. We're to pray for one another, interceding for one another. Yes. Uh, to intercede with God for healing for others. I've asked y'all to pray for my son, pray for this individual, pray for certain individuals. We need to pray for things of the church and then if you want to fast during those times, it's not that God has to do it, but he can or will do it if He if it fits in accordance with his plan. But he see your sincerity about doing that. You may be praying for an increase in the church or a growth in the church. Well, what you may see is that he make you a stronger witness, a stronger evangelists are saying the word of God are living a more holy life or that to allow your light to shine that others would see your light and come as they came to John's baptism. They were coming not because they were converted, not because they had been, they were coming to see what was going on. So a lot of them joined in, but their hearts weren't right. But those that are seeking or searching for the Lord you want to let that light so shine that men would see that light if they are true. If they are really searching, they would find it by following you. Yes. That's why Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. God says, though, that we should fast to free others from, well, okay, and to understand his will. We understand for clarity of God's will. We understand for wisdom and knowledge that we're fasting, that we would gain spiritual insight, spiritual wisdom, uh, to be able to better serve God, to be a better servant of God, and that we're foregoing these things in search of a union with you that would 
profit me in progressing in the Lord, in the spirit of the Lord, uh, to help provide needs for others. Uh, fasting is a tool of godly love that we are to use for the good of others, and any benefits we derive from it, it's a wonderful blessing if there are benefits, because as he said, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all of these things will be added unto you. So when he says that his father seeth in secret, that they see it in secret, and he'll reward you. Well, he didn't say what those rewards were or wanted to be, but we know that his word does say we'll receive rewards according to our deeds. Yes. A man's works will be equivalent of his deeds. Fasting provides an affirmative, uh, active affirmation through our refusal to yield to fleshly appetites that we are doing our part in exercising spiritual control. So we go buffet the flesh. Uh, he says by married people that you would choose a time with consent with one another that you set apart for fasting and prayer and not have conjugal relationships. So it's a time that the husband and wife would set that time to fast and pray and then come back together so Satan wouldn't tempt them. But they need to be in agreement at some time to sustain from sexual relationships. So sometimes it's things that we give up. And that's why I say you, you may need to fast from television. You may need to fast from a lot of worldly things that you do. Give that up in exchange for that, replace it with the word of God. In other words, replace it with a time of study. Replace it with a time of prayer, of meditating in God's word. Because, like I said, you may be one of the ones, because of medical reasons, that can't do a physical fast. But there are physical things that are going on in your life that need to be strengthened or eliminated that you can get closer to God that way by giving up in those areas because he says if you fast, when you fast. Mm -hmm. So he didn't say the tight fast. And I told you, <clears throat> the people that sing about giving up bread and water or whatever, but we found out some of the things medically induced or whatever that you can't do without water. Some people shouldn't do without water. There are certain medications that you need to take that you can't skip taking or whatever. Yes. By it, we actively affirm to God Almighty that we indeed opt for a spiritual feature over a physiochemical dead-end existence. We're choosing life over death. We're saying... <clears throat> I'm looking forward toward the future, so I'm laying up time with God. I'm distancing myself away because one of these days, this mortal will put on immortality, this corruptible will put on incorruptible. One day I won't have to eat. I won't have to do these things that I'm doing. I won't have to be given to these pleasures, these things in life that in physical life that God had put here that are not necessarily evil within themselves, but they may be a weight of sin hindering us 
from serving God. So we're choosing life over death when we choose the spiritual to anything that has to do with the physio or the physical or the physical chemical reactions of the things of the world. Fasting brings us face to face with carnality and we feel compelled to cry out for both physical and spiritual energy. When you're fasting, you're crying out for God to sustain you not only spiritually, but give me the physical strength to go longer without doing things that the accomplishment, he says he'll be with us and he'll help us to overcome. So Moses and Jesus, those that did the 40-day fasts and all of this, God was necessarily with them, especially during the time that they were in some, some of the conditions and places they were. If you're doing a 20 or 30 day fast, yes, God is with you because a lot of them have to be medically treated to come off those fasts or to make it through those fasts. But if your spiritual life has to point, progress to the point where you can do a week or two or three week or four week, five week fast, then God has progressed your spiritual life and there is divinity in that. There's a theological component part to that I would think yes. because of your dependence upon God and that he strengthened you. You remember Jesus in the wilderness after the angels came and attended to him after his fast in, in the wilderness but it was the spirit which had driven him into the wilderness. Uh, the physical uh to endure the privation and the spiritual to endure the temptations to satisfy. So he helps you to overcome. Like they tried to rescue him and he says, no, it's not that my father has sent a legion of angels. You know you have access to things of God in that these temptations and things that being laid before you as Satan came to Jesus in the wilderness with the three different temptations, God gave him the, tempta the, the ability to overcome those temptations, but it was with the Word of God. Yes. And so I say we should know the Word of God. I was talking to a man in the washeteria today, and he started talking about Christmas and some other things, and we got into it about that. And I say, now, you're, you're talking about your opinion or the tradition of men... Any of this you saying, can you back this up with Scripture? I'm not interested in your opinion of what you think. We saying the Word of God, something that God has designated, something that Jesus has showed us in the Word. If the Word was in the beginning with God, the Word created the world and the Word dwelt in it, and Jesus Christ was that Word. We know that the Father begot the Son, or what is begotten is deity. That's the only way deity could become is deity is taken out of deity. You can't birth deity. It, Jesus was the only begotten Son of God. And that means He's part of the Godhead. He was always here. Jesus is eternal. The Son was given, but Jesus Christ has been here all along. He's the, he was in the beginning. He was the creation factor in the beginning. So it was the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. They've always been. 
That's the triune Godhead. So when would a birthday come in there? Or if he had a day for that, wouldn't he given us that day or told us of that day specifically? Just like he gave us the Sabbath? So are you giving me your opinion of something that can be changed or something that's not part of the word of God? That's what Satan came giving Eve his opinion. And it was about something to eat. Look at that tree. Isn't one the desire to make one wise and, and they ate of it? Sometimes the things of this world we eat of, they lusted after quail in the wilderness. Well, God could provide meat, but you tempted God saying, can he provide meat? Before they finished eating the quail, they were dying. They were dropping dead. Because, because why? They tempted God. We know God can do all things. The psalmist write in Psalms 138 and 3, In the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. Fasting forces us to cry out to the only real source of strength. Who do you cry to for strength? That is God. So if you are hungered or you are thirst, we, we cry to the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's the one could sustain us and feed us. He's the one that they cried into in the wilderness. He fed them with manna. He's the source. That's what we're trying to do. We want to stay tapped in to the source. We want to get rooted and grounded. We want to be like the tree side the river, planted side the river. We want to tap into God. Not to man, not to nobody else, because all those things are passing away. But we know God in his word shall abide forever. So we want to hide ourselves in the word. Jesus Christ is a mighty strong fortress for us to run to. He's a refuge. Fasting, uh, and he promises to give us what we need to overcome the temptations. So if I'm tempted, he was tempted in the wilderness, and he, Jesus quoted the script. So he gives us that same promise. The promise is what I say to one, I say to all. Yes. So 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, There had no temptation taken you, but such is the common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. So we know Abraham was under a whole lot of temptation to kill Isaac. But God provided the ram in the bush. He provided him to be able to go through these things. No temptation, nothing that's coming on you. So Esau wasn't going to starve to death. He might have been hungry. I can't see if he went out that day that he was so starving that he was going to die. You know, like I say, it takes two or three days before the body starts eating upon itself before it turns inward. It eats the fat stores and the water stores. That's why when fasting, we have to be careful and learn of it or whatever. Because certain way you eat, the body stores food for it knows the, your eating pattern or whatever, and it reserves those, those food or those fat stores so it can have it in time that you starve it. 
It's an addiction. The Amplified reads, No temptation, regardless of its source, has overtaken or enticed you that is not common to human experience, nor is any temptation unusual or beyond human resistance. There's nothing that in this world can overwhelm you to where you can't resist it. If you're depending upon trust and trusting upon God, there's no temptation and nothing that came to you that is uncommon to man that anybody, other people that didn't been through it before, you just don't know what was on me. You don't know what I was going through. Well, Jesus, been he's been through all this, and he hadn't put on you no more than you can bear. Now, you might not have test or discipline yourself. I tell you a lot of times about your discipline on eating sweets and your discipline with your eating habits or whatever. But it takes takes character. It takes time to develop those disciplines. They don't just come out of nowhere. But God is faithful to his word. He is compassionate and trustworthy. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability to resist. Resist the devil. But you remember the rest of that verse I tell you. Resist the devil, but you have to submit yourself to God. Humble yourself before God, and he'll cause him to flee. But you can't. Resisting the devil is not going getting the temptations and putting it in your icebox and say, man, I just hope I don't drink this beer. You have quite resisted it or whatever. You don't go in the middle of the restaurant, you starving or whatever. You don't just go in the middle of Burger King or churches or whatever. Oh, man, I got to resist this temptation. Joseph fled. He ran away because why? He says, shall I do this and sin against God? Sometimes you have to get away from the temptation. You, you can't put yourself in the same proximity of it. Judas was a thief. He should they say, look, man, I got a money problem. I'm going to be stealing out this bag. Don't let me handle the money. I tell my wife, well, look, don't put the candy over here by me because I'm going to keep pitching out the candy. You put the candy over there somewhere and hide it or whatever. Long as it's there. I don't buy a bluebell because it's bluebell in there. I'm going to eat it. There's no such thing as not eating it. But along with the temptation he has in the past and now is and will always provide a way out as well so that you will not be able so that you will be able to endure it without yielding and will overcome temptation with joy the joy of overcoming is the reward of it to know that you've overcome to know that you've overcome sexual temptation to know over know that you've come overcome covetousness that you don't have that gambling addiction. That that's the bondage. He says to deliver us from bondage. We're in bondage to devil. Where the anointing breaks every yoke. We're trying to fast to break the yokes. We want God to pull down the strongholds in our life. Whatever is hindering us from serving you, we want you to help us to lay aside every weight and sin that's besetting us from running this race. The living says, but remember this, the wrong desires that come into your life aren't anything new and different. Many others have faced exactly the same problems before, and no temptation is irresistible. 
You can trust God to keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it. For he has promised this and will do what he says. He will show you how to escape temptation so that you can bear up patiently against it. And the last one that we may have a few minutes to go through is neglected prayer and fasting. Neglected prayer and fasting. Matthew 17, 17 to 21. Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. And they came, and then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. So there's a problem. You remember the man came to Jesus with the son? He says, I believe, but help my unbelief. Yes. Notice here that Jesus says, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? There were those that may be taking us away from studying. Remember I said some people are a stumbling block or a stumbling stone. Mm-hmm. God has to move it away. And that's why he says once the bridegroom is taken out of the way. Now, I, we remember we were saying Jesus become a stone of stumbling. Well, once Jesus was taken away, he says they will fast. Yes. So he's wants us to see that we're in a position that he say he's got to come out of the world, but he wants us to do greater things than he did. He was going to leave the spirit with us. He's going to be in us to guide us and lead us in all truth and that we're to be overcome us. So we have to have that faith in him that he's gone, but that he's not gone, that him and the father is dwelling within us living within us through the Holy Spirit. The three of them are, are right in there. Yeah. And that we have to have faith in that. We, we have to have his word, know his word. He says, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall remove say, to the mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall be done unto you. Nothing shall be impossible to you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. So he told them how to get rid of the one, and he says that this is the only way that it goes out, but these are the ones that are taking extra credit. In other words, these are the ones who are applying themselves, who are doing God's word, who are growing in God's word, who are rooted, and they live by that word. They're doing sleepless nights. They're doing fastings often. Uh, this miracle teaches that it takes the power of faith to overcome the enemy. It takes the power of faith to overcome the enemies. And so they had been careless in their personal spiritual walks and had neglected prayer and fasting. Because he says the only way this one comes out is by prayer and fasting. So you have to stay in prayer. That's why some parts of the Bible says cease not to pray. Pray always. It has to be incorporated into our life. Heavenly Fathers, we come before you this afternoon.